views and opinions expressed on Explorer Secrets of the Truth or that of their guests or contributors are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. All information on Explorer Secrets of the Truth is provided in good faith, however, we make no representation or warranty of any kind, express or implied, regarding the accuracy, adequacy, validity, reliability, availability, or completeness of any information on this talk show or website. From monsters and ghosts to otherworldly beings, join the explorers as they venture into the darkest realm seeking the truth to what goes bump in the night. There we go. Good evening and welcome to Explorers Seekers of the Truth episode 54. Tonight, mm -hmm. as always, I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, Les Sinkavich. How are you doing this evening, Les? I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic. How about you? I made it through without laughing. There, yeah, it's true. That's true. You see baby steps, man. A little bit of each show. There, there we go. I am doing pretty good. Uh, um, like I said earlier to you off air, I'm after tonight, two episodes away from being back in Gettysburg. So mm. I am doing really well. Yeah, I know and, that's your favorite place, man. Yeah. Yeah, this year, not going for bike week, but going for our anniversary. So I still get to go. Let's go for a good event. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or a good cause, you know. Yeah. Of not sleeping outside for the rest of the year. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's true. Well, for those who of of you out there who would like to get in touch with us, you can get uh, comment live. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, just comment underneath the show, and it should populate. We have Rick and Moon Joey chime in. One from Facebook, one from YouTube. So they're coming in. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, so comment live during the show, underneath the show. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at Explorers Group. You can find us on our website, explorersgroup.com. Obviously, Facebook and YouTube. Um, so, yeah, that's that's about it. Okay. So, tonight we want to cover, you know, like the ancient Nevada giants of the Lovelock Cave and kind of compare it to the Catalina Island uh, Native American giant stories and kind of just kind of touch base on the two of them nothing super in-depth but i think they're very both very interesting cases that come from the you know early part of the last century yeah that's right but first we're going to try something a little bit uh new before we get into our main topic a segment we're going to be calling holding a candle to legends and this segment will be um excuse me <clears throat> compared um, common cultural folklore, and since tonight we're talking about giants, we figure let's give it a try. So, Chad, uh, what can you tell us? Holding a candle to legends. Nice. <laughs> I didn't turn up the volume that time. <laughs> so, basically, from the Anakims of the Bible to Brand the Blessed of Welsh folklore to even American folklore of Paul Bunyan. Uh, stories of giants have been common throughout the world. They appear in folklore of cultures worldwide. 
and they they really represent a very simple concept where the human body enlarges to the point of being monstrous and that invokes fear and terror and kind of reminds humans of the body's frailty and mortality mm-hmm. and you know they're often portrayed the monster the antagonist with there are a few exceptions but for the most part they're always kind of the evil that lurks in the hearts of men oh yeah the shadow knows <laughs> tall shadows yeah which actually wasn't a terrible movie i just wish i would have done better <laughs> um you know and there are some stories where the giants intermingle with humans in a friendly way and even mm-hmm. you know part of the human families where the offspring being betrayed as regular humans you know or half giants yeah yeah so one of the you know if you think about it this this phenomenon if you look at pretty much every culture every major culture that's developed even some minors um they generally do have some giant in their folklore oh yeah yeah i named a few there but you know so one of the things was there was a book back in 2002 the uh, fate of the mammoths by um claudine cohen and basically she argued that the human history of interactions with fossil uh, bones of prehistoric megafauna heavily influenced the giant war so that you know people would find a mammoth leg and say oh it's a human and yeah you know not understanding like oh no this is a different you know this is a you know woolly mammoth or mastodon so they were you know kind of misinterpreting you know what they were seeing but it's always interesting that you do still have these like even if that's the case for a say 75 percent of the stories of the folklore of the cultural mm-hmm. you know heritage there are still the facts of you know what is a giant yeah you is know, it its own race is its own species is it part of the human line is it just a, a, a human with gigantism well here's the thing you, you think about the you know what they always say the average height of a human male during this time is you know like five seven yeah well if somebody was six say six six shafer mm-hmm. yeah well, he he's a giant to somebody who's five seven if, if average is five seven True. Yeah. True. It means most of the people walking around are somewhere between five seven, say five five and five ten. Mm-hmm. He's six six. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna appear to be a giant compared to the average person. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I was actually just gonna bring up what Moon Joey commented right there. You know, the giants in the Bible are really around six five six six when you use the mathematics that they used at that time mm-hmm. six five six six i mean you're six three almost six four yeah there's a couple inches not too far than, off yeah. yeah that's a couple inches taller than you our, our friend schaefer who we went to college with i mean he's six 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 seven legit mm-hmm. um you know even standing next to us he he's a relatively hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. gigantic looking guy now he's not you know shaquille o'neal yeah you know or yao ming i mean yao ming in china is a giant 
Oh God, yeah, yeah, for sure. Seven, 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 six, somewhere in that neighborhood. Well, what was that um, record holder? Uh, Wadlow or something like that was his last name. Robert Wadlow, I think. Yeah, he's I eight have a... feet eleven inches. Yeah, I mean, not even to like NBA stars' size. I mean, he dwarfs them. They had. Um, it's I on think our... it was. It's Shaq. Yeah, yeah, Shaq standing next to it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on our Facebook Shaq page. Shaq one of the Ripley's. Uh, I have the same – I have the image from Ripley's on our page, and we also have the picture of Shaq standing with him. Shaq has 7-1. Yeah. This guy makes Shaq look like a normal-sized person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that I saw one picture. It was Shaq, Yao Ming, and then uh, Wad- Robert Wadlow, whatever his name is. <laughs> and and even, I couldn't believe even Yao Ming looked – tiny compared like eight foot 11 you don't think it's that big but when you see it and like i've seen that guy's statue at yeah, like, before down at the beach mm-hmm. and you're looking i'm like unbelievable unbelievable yeah. you think like at i'm i'm right around six two depending on how my neck is yeah and i stood by that thing and i looked up and almost three foot taller than me basically yeah yep like yep. you're looking up and you're like three foot doesn't sound like a lot or, you know, six foot to eight foot doesn't seem like a lot. But when you're looking at something that tall, you're, you know, you, you think, Oh my God, that guy's a giant. I mean, I see, mm-hmm. you know, going through, you know, different colleges and stuff like that. You see some of the basketball players that are six ten, six eleven, seven footers. And they yeah. walk by and you're just like, you're, you're just looking up and it's like, <laughs> It's like, holy you know, so, so you say giant, we have an understanding of that's a normal human who just is really tall for a human. Yeah, yeah. Or they have giantism, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, some well, and I mean, agromania, yeah, that's yeah, what causes the pituitary issues. But even so, it's still a normal human. Right, they right. Just have, you know, have an issue. So culturally in these folklore stories, I don't think it's all – Oh, misidentified dinosaur bones or or mega prehistoric megafauna. I think some of it is legit people who were just taller than the average. You know what? They were taller than the tallest person that person had seen prior. Yeah. If you think about it, you know when you go back to these early folklore stories, the guy was you know say even six 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 seven, but he was also carrying muscle mass and stuff like that to be working in the field or be, you know, a woodsman or a hunter. So now all of a sudden you have the, the farmer who's five, five, you know, back in the day, maybe he looks out and sees a guy chopping trees and the guy's six, seven and say 280 pounds when the average person might've been a hundred and, you know, fat back then might've been 180. Yeah. You know, so I think sometimes the interest of the cultural stuff there where you, you see these folklore, but it is shared. I mean, you have like Finn McCool in Ireland, um, you know, all the different giants that are mentioned in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, even in um, uh, Indian folklore, there's giants, Indian in India, the subcontinent of India, mm-hmm. um, you know, Native American folklore has giants, Himalayas have giants. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of times it gets passed off in in this day and age because Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti is such a cool thing. It just gets put over in that category of oh, it must be a Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Or they're referencing Bigfoot because, mm-hmm. as you see, 
at you know what we're going to be talking about next you're going to see some of that you know kind of when we discuss it how we got into some of these cases mm -hmm. well sticking with the giant legend theme and and to go into tonight's topic <clears throat> let's travel to nevada to the Love lovelock cave to give some insight into the cave's history and geographical makeup, the large rock shelter is north of modern-day Humboldt Sink. Lovelock Cake Cave is the uh, Lake Lawton region next to the former uh, lake bed of Lake Lawton. Uh, it was formed by the lake's currents and wave actions, and it was first a rock shelter. Eventually, an earthquake, earthquake collapsed the overhang of the mouth, Lake Lawton, uh, was a large uh, Pleistocene pluvial lake that covered much of western Nevada. Due to drier Holocene climate, the water evaporated, dropped, and much smaller lakes were remained, um, such as Lake Humboldt, uh, Pyramid Lake, and Carson Lake. But the dry environment of the cave resulted in a wealth of well-preserved artifacts that uh, kind of provide a glimpse on how people lived in the area. And Lovelock Cave was in use as early as uh, 2580 BC, um, but what was not uh, intensively inhabited until around 1000 BC. So people occupied Lovelock Cave for about 4,000 years. Yeah. Um, can you pop up the the picture from like the top of Lovelock Cave, looking out from it, just to kind of give people an idea of the surroundings? With the little tra trails around it? Yeah. Okay, let me put it up there in some of This one? Uh, that one or the other one? Either one's fine. Okay. Just kind of wanted people to... Yeah, this one? one? There we go. Yeah. So you can see, like, you know, that being a prehistoric lake, it's pretty interesting. But Oh, for sure. I mean, the whole the whole area out there is is it looks like a dried up lake bed yeah. or, or ocean mm -hmm. an inland sea as they like to call it that's right yeah <laughs> so as les was saying you know humans utilize the cave starting around 2580 bc you know not intensely inhabited to about a thousand so this is where a hypothesis arose from the investigations of lovelock cave by heiser and napton supported a linosedentary theory pertaining to life at the site. Um, this view held that people of the area rarely moved from the base because they had access to rich uh, food and a variety of resources. And this um, theory is based on the corallite material found at Lovelock Cave, which reveals a diet primarily of fish and uh, diverse lakeside fare. So they got poop samples. <laughs> there you go. There you I go. I always put poop samples in my notes instead of trying to say <laughs> Coraline. <laughs> Which I don't know. I, I don't know how how you could tell what it is because I've seen some fossilized dino droppings. I mean, you really got to have a good eye to figure out what the hell that is because to me it just looks like a funky rock. Well, I think they're doing like chemical analysis and stuff like that on it yeah, to see true. what the the minerals and proteins and you know, trace metabolites are on it. Yeah, that's true. So that was but like... To, to even just identify it, though, is what, what kind of throws me off, is how, how do you, in a, in a pile of rocks, how do you depict or, or identify... <laughs> that's probably... <laughs> that's Hold on a second. Mm. 
Oh, that's shit. That that is shit. <laughs> this well, coffee the, tastes like shit. <laughs> it's a bit nutty. A second hypothesis, the Limno Mobile View, suggests that sites such as Lovelock were only occupied during certain times throughout the year, and people in the area were very mobile. So Lovelock Cave is believed to have been occupied extensively during the winter months. Summer months uh, may have been plagued with insects that would make it far less uh, enjoyable to live in, and especially being near uh, marsh areas is kind of undesirable. But the findings at the site reveal lengthy periods of occupation, <clears throat> excuse me, and also show the complicated techniques used by the hunters and gatherers to acquire resources. Yeah. Um, both theories are very interesting. Hypotheses mm -hmm. are interesting on this. Um, you know, just based off of limited knowledge of ancient cultures, they generally were mobile you know even into when you know people starts you know the europeans started settling north america the native americans that were here were still a yeah they were still moving you know from season to season to different areas so you know yes you have a, a an abundant supply of you know fish and resources but you know it's like one of those things where if you eat fish you know six days a week you kind of get to day seven you want a steak yeah, exactly yeah exactly. you know, well a lot of a lot of the native uh people in those regions were like you said were nomadic a, a lot of the plains indians and whatnot uh with their teepees they just fold them down pack them up follow the buffalo so they would mm -hmm. follow the food source so i would say the uh mobile uh hypothesis would probably be more likely than a uh, permanent uh, with the uh, limno-sedentary theory. Yeah. Um, well, and also the the fact of like the insects. Yeah, yeah. You know, water, you know, <clears throat> being near water during the spring and summer when mosquitoes and gnats and flies and everything under the creepy crawly sun is hatching and <laughs> you, biting you. Well, like, especially that region. That's like rattlesnake haven, you know, yeah. in the caves. But and and what what kind of makes me scratch my head too is as the archaeologists are are excavating those sites, you would think if it were a permanent site, um, they would find more. I mean, we'll talk more about it as as the show goes on. But you would think there would have been more being pulled out of there if it was a permanent um, place of residency for those people yeah yeah now this is where things get interesting because you know in 1886 a mining engineer named john reed happened to hear a legend about giants who inhabited the caves from a group of paiutes while prospecting near lovelock nevada and the indians told him a legend um that was real to them and that the cave was located nearby. So when he saw the cave for himself, Reed knew he was on to something. Mm -hmm. So he was unable to dig himself, but news, you know, of course, you know, you find something out, the news spreads. Oh, yeah. And the, you know, the cave became an attraction, you know, pretty much overnight at that point. And unfortunately, the attention that, you know, was given to it was profit driven 
guano deposits found inside of it. That's funny because that was actually one of the other names that the cave was called, Sunset Guano Cave. Yeah. So it's like a Sunset Shit Cave. So I mean, that's such a romantic name, isn't it? Second reference to poop, and we're only 20 minutes 20 in. Minutes in? <laughs> it's a good show. It's a good start. So there was a company that was started by uh, two miners, and one's name was David Pugh, and the other was James Hart. And, of course, they start, you know, digging out and excavating the precious resources in 1911. And it had soon been shipped more than 250 tons to a fertilizer company in San Francisco. That's, That's unbelievable. <laughs> that is. That is. Well, I guess if bats were in there for thousands of years, it'll pile up. Yeah, and I'm sure bats are still using it. So yeah, yeah. probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably. So, you know, any artifacts that you might have been discovered at that point were probably neglected or lost. Well, yeah, that kind of answers my question when I said there should be more being discovered. But if they mined it all out and it was mixed within the mass of guanu, mm. it's gone. Yeah. So, you know, and after that surface layer has been removed, you kind of, they started finding some strange objects started, you know, coming up and they started finding them mixed in there. So, yeah. and, and that also led to an uh, official excavation uh, that, that was performed in 1912 by the University of California. And another one took place in 1924 and reports told about thousands of artifacts being recovered. So, I mean, thousands of artifacts, there's, Clearly, you know, I guess more was being brought out than, than I guess I, I initially assumed. But um, and some of them being truly unusual, which I wish we could have found some more on what they all looked like. Um, when we get into the discussion, I have some stuff for you. Okay. Pretty interesting. So around the same time as the second Lovelock Cave excavation, another dig revealed a set of equally disturbing finds. So according to a 1931 article published in the Nevada Review Minor, two giant skeletons had been found buried in a dry lake bed close to Lovelock, Nevada. And uh, the oversized remain measured eight and a half feet, respectively, um, to, to almost 10 feet in height, and were mummified in a manner similar to the ones employed by ancient Egyptians. And another common trait between these mummified giant remains uh, and the ones discovered as far south as Lake uh, Titicaca is the presence of red hair. Yeah, and you know some scientists believe the reddish color is a result of the interaction with the environment in which they were buried. You know, the mummies verify the legends which describe the Shitaka. Titica, yeah, and their kin as redheaded giants. Now, of course, you know, it's proponents of alternative history believe these violent giants were none other than the biblical Nephilim, mm -hmm. the force, uh, forsworn, <laughs> the offspring, <laughs> <laughs> the offspring of the sons of God and the daughter of men, mm -hmm. and which. It, that that's kind of odd because I thought angels weren't anatomically correct. Well, I don't so know. So to have them, I don't know. <laughs> that's a whole other topic for a whole other a whole other yeah, day. I, I, I've listened to so many of those different Nephilim programs and stuff like that. And I'm just like, 
I, there's I, so much. There, there's there's so, so much lore and legend to it. You could do eight thousand. Oh, they do eight thousand TV shows about it already. Yeah. Let me let me back up for one second though. When you're talking about the reddish color hair, that is something that they're they're noticing a lot with a lot of the uh, the megafauna that is being. Um, I guess exposed in the receding permafrost over in Siberia and stuff like the the woolly rhinos, woolly mammoths, some of the cave cave lions and stuff like that. All their hair, all the fur seems to be similar in color, and it's all coming through as this reddish kind of color. And they're like just like you said, it's like that sedimentary is the sediments are almost like leaching the pigment out and replacing it with this clay reddish clay color. So. You're not really seeing the true color of the hair. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things. If I think of a woolly mammoth, I think a red hair anyway. Kind of, yeah. I, that's I just the way it's always been depicted. Yeah, know? I was gonna say I think the depictions have always kind of been of red hair, so or reddish, mm -hmm. rusty hair. So I've always just kind of assumed, you know, it would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of makes sense. Hey, Joe, good to see you, buddy. Um. It does kind of make sense because if it was that kind of ready, rusty, burnt, like if they're going through a forested area, they'd kind of blend in like a deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. How they could just almost disappear, you know? Mm -hmm. Not that I, I guess they wouldn't really need to. I mean, they're so goddamn big. What would be their, aside from humans, their biggest threat would be either saber tooth, saber tooth tigers, cats. and maybe the short faced bear. I don't know. They, I, I'm getting, I'm diverting. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So now if, if these are truly, the you know nephilim of biblical stories there's very little chance we might ever get to see any of these giant mummies no you know well no because a lot of that would kind of uh go against the whole theory or, or belief in religion and all that stuff yeah well even like the whole you know, early man in North America type stuff. So, you know, the, the, there's if if these things are real and true, there are there's got to be some secret group out there trying to keep that part of history mm -hmm. under wraps. Yeah. Well. Oh, do you, did you have a, a a line in there? Or did you cover it that last line? No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry. I just want to make sure I didn't like step over you there. So according to the Paiutes oral history, the Sitaka or Sai are a legendary tribe of red-haired cannibalistic giants. And the mummified remains of a man six foot six inches tall were discovered by guanu miners in Lovelock Cave in 1911, which again, it's kind of interesting. They go from eight and a half to almost 10 feet to a six and a half foot one. So maybe that's a young one. I don't know. But if, if that is the height, that would just be just a taller person, you know? Yeah. But um, they were discovered by the Guano Miners in 1911. And then Adrian Mayer uh, writes about the Sitaka in her book, Fossil Legends of the First Americans, which I'd actually really like to read that book. Uh, it'll take me seven years, like the last one, but I'll read it. Yeah, I was surprised you um, read one. <laughs> I know. Uh, she suggests that the giant interpretation of the skeletons from Lovelock Cave and other dry caves in Nevada, <clears throat> excuse me, was started by entrepreneurs setting up tourist displays and that the skeletons themselves were of normal size. About 100 miles north of Lovelock, there is 
plenty of fossils of mammoths and cave bears and their large limb bones could easily be thought to be those of giants by an untrained observer, which we kind of touched base on this earlier about, you know, kind of gaffing the, the skeletons. Um, <clears throat> she also discusses uh, the reddish hair, pointing out the hair pigment is not stable after death, which we had already covered, you know, uh, because of the soil temps, etc. Um, but that 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 process could turn very dark hair into that rusty red color. So they could have been jet black hair. I mean, look at most of the native people in in North America: tan skin, jet black hair, silky smooth, flows in the wind. You know, so I would probably say that um, these beings or people were probably just like everybody else. And then, you know, time is what had changed them. But Moonjoy does make kind of a good point there that the Paiutes speak of battling these white, red haired, 10 foot tall giants. Um, but growing weary of these monsters' predation, several of the local tribes united and declared war. Impeccable timing, Moon Joey. On the Setakai, uh, resulting in a long and bloody war, finally gaining the upper hand, the tribes managed to chase the remaining giants into a cave near Lovelock, Nevada. The Setakai refused to come out, so the alliance, so the alliance filled the caved entrance uh, with dry wooden brush, which they set fire to and hoping to wipe out what was left of their enemies inside. However, a later excavation in 1924 did turn up three human bones which had been split in order to extract bone marrow, lending credence to the fact that cannibalism was indeed practiced there at some point, whether that was the practice of the Sitaka or if it was just an assertion, I don't know. Or if they were blocked in and they were living, maybe they were just feeding off the, the remains of whoever died first. Kind of like that movie Alive with the soccer players, you know, as they as each one passed, they kind of became food, you know. Yeah. So now here here's a couple interesting things to really start to look at. Um, there were over a hundred thousand artifacts. Oh, excavated. Okay, so that is a hell of a lot more than I had originally mm -hmm. thought, and. Now, when they say artifacts, we're talking down to arrowheads. So each arrowhead counts as one. Right. You know, but still, still, even the finest details, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing was many of the items that were excavated were of giant proportions. I'll give you an example. A size 29 U.S. sandal was... Mm found inside the love block cave size 29 now to give you reference we you know throw shack in this because for me he's the most common seven footer mm -hmm. his shoe size was a 22 he was seven one 300 and some pounds mm -hmm. so a size 29 would be a you know doing some basic human mechanics math would be a, up to a nine foot tall person so it's right on the money with what these people are saying they saw. Yeah. Hmm. So now to go back to the whole burning the front of the cave to seal them in, you know, and kill them. There are signs of a fire at the entrance to the cave. 
They're just charring and, and um, burning at the, the you know mouth of the cave. Um, you want to pull up the cave photo, the the front um, of the trail leading up to it, or yes, let me find that one again. Yeah. So, just kind of going through some of these points here. Yeah. So I mean, they're saying, you know, there is signs um, of some fire being set at some point. Now they're, of course, you know, saying at some point there was a massive fire set there. Not saying exactly when or who did it or anything like that. There's just signs. Right. Right. So, you know. And it looks like the cave is actually bigger than you you might think. Like if you look at that footpath, yeah, the, the entry point of that cave is is a relatively large opening. You know, it kind of because of the way it sits in this photo, you kind of think, oh, it's not that big. Well, we're also taking a photo from a distance. You think about those footpaths leading up to it, like where the the Y junction is before you would turn to go into the opening. Mm -hmm. You got to figure that Y junction's probably a good three to four foot wide paths leading into it yeah yeah a six foot path it's a decent yeah. sized cave i mean because you, yeah. you could figure um if if you would put a person on that trail they'd be pretty teeny tiny so you could you could safely say that a 10 foot tall group of people could probably get in and out of that with little ease mm -hmm. so um can you pull up the picture of the native american lady for me, please. Yes. Hold on one sec. Okay, so this is Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins, and she wrote the book uh, Life Among the Paiutes, who actually, she's one of the first people to put this into literature. Um, and one of the things about the red hair is if you look at the um, flowing piece that comes off around her neck. Yeah. Okay. She used to wear this outfit when she would do presentations on the book and talking about her people. Well, sewn into that flowing top piece uh -huh. is the red hair. Oh, no way. Yes. That, she had it sewn in when that's a morning dress. And when she had it, when she made it, she actually sewed the hair into that dress and would show it during the presentation. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, so maybe the hair is red isn't red but somehow she had red hair sewn into that dress that you know fits with the legend yeah so, you also yeah you have other skeletons found in that area you know different you know within you know a couple hundred miles and you know when you when you talk to the paiutes they treat this as historical fact right they don't treat this as folklore, legend, or anything like that. They treat it as historical fact. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I find interesting, do you remember the movie 13th Warrior with Antonio Banderas? Yes. Okay. That's based off of, I believe it was Michael Crichton wrote the book, Eaters of the, um, Eaters of the Dead. Mm -hmm. That's where 13th Warrior comes from. Mm -hmm. 13th Warrior is based off of an actual um arabic writing of a poet a court member i believe it was iraq his brother was going to be the sultan he kind of fell in love with his brother's girlfriend wife at the time whatever he was sent away 
and he ended up with the Norrisman. And this is a story he tells. Okay. So we talk about, you know, the whole holding a candle to legends. Big cannibalistic people who live in a cave. Mm. Hairy that attack other civilizations nearby, taking people, killing people, and, and eating them. Then you have the warriors who trap them in the cave. And eventually, now in that story, I don't think they burn the front of the cave, but they do enter in the cave and end up killing the queen, which then ends up, you know, breaking the tr the trance of the group or whatever they considered it. He, he had a very long Arabic story for it, but yeah, yeah. I'm you know doing a summary here of going off very limited knowledge of Arabic. Well, to kind of stick with the uh, giants and caves, um, wasn't there not that long ago a story of some Marines that were over in the Middle East? Afghanistan? Yeah, yeah. And they actually came across a, a cave of these red-haired, white-skinned giants that took out half the, the platoon or whatever you want to call it, and they literally fired upon them, and, and it was almost like it did nothing. And supposedly we killed them and took their bodies. And Supposedly. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you something. Afghanistan, from my understanding, from my friends who have been there, is haunted as all hell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, There's all kinds of shit that comes out of that place that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, some straight up just scary ass ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, isn't isn't Afghanistan or uh, don't isn't the jinn from that area or is that from India? No, I, jinn, I think it's no jinn is Arabic. It's from the Muslim religion. So it's kind of that area then, right? Uh, spread of Muslim religion, yes, to that area, not originally though. Okay, so I remember seeing a, a few of those paranormal caught on camera, and it was uh, from always like, like, oh yeah, yeah, they're they're saying it was, it was the gin, but like all these structures and homes. I mean, a lot of them look like they were bombed. Well, they probably mm -hmm. were bombed, you know. And they're yeah. going in there and they're investigating. I, I don't know if I would ever want to go there. I, I think I'd be more afraid of the the country than I would you know, uh, being an American going over there than I would have of the ghosts, but the stuff that I've seen that came from there, like ghost, ghost wise and, and paranormal wise, like ridiculous, ridiculous. So yes, I agree with you. I, that, that place is, is quite active. So, so what are your thoughts on the whole love lock? Let me, let me rephrase that. The first time I ever heard this story, mm -hmm. it was tied to Bigfoot. Yes. These were a tribe of Bigfoot that lived in this cave and attacked and, and were eating people and were eventually, you know, fought off and killed. Right. So to me, it, it, to me, it doesn't sound looking into the stories and all that, it doesn't sound Bigfoot mm -hmm. to me. It sounds more or less violent tribe of bigger than average. I mean, first of all, if you have, 
if you have a genetic line that's bigger than average and they're breeding with other, you know, a group of people that are bigger than average, you're probably going to produce more. Well, you're going to take that mutated chromosome or whatever it is, that strain of DNA, and you're just going to make it the norm throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, like, like breeding dogs and make them bigger, stronger. You take the, the bigger ones and you keep. So to that point, in a lot of cultures, like dwarfism, stuff like that, they would be excommunicated from the village or the town or whatever, or, or killed, you know, in worst cases, but some of them are just kind of shipped off or kicked out or left to their own devices. So if there's a bunch of them that are getting kicked out and they make their own village or whatever, there was that town in Pennsylvania. That was the, the village for the dwarfs. It's down, I think towards Philly. I don't remember that one. No. I think part of it's still there. There's nobody, I don't think anybody lives there anymore, but it was, I think it was down towards Philly and it was basically like, um, I think it started out with like some circus performers bought some land because they weren't, you know, they didn't fit normal society. And so they, built their own community and then why are you about to laugh? I don't know. It's just funny. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to keep a straight face, but it just sounds you didn't no no. Okay, so it was a, a, a dwarven town. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> My childish side is is, yeah. is taking over. Well, yeah. So I mean they they basically built their own little town and now I don't know you know what if there was any breeding going on, but yeah. you know, you had a town. So now take it back a couple thousand years. And all of a sudden you have this community of, you know, giants. well, you have a community of giants, but take it back for them and say it was a town of hobbits. You know, well, that a, homo florensia, I, I butchered this. Florensis. Florensis, yeah, yeah. Kind of, Mm-hmm. A whole little island of tiny people. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like, but if you took the folklore from, say, this village, took it back a thousand, two thousand years, and then you bring it forward, all of a sudden there's a uh, a village of hobbits or, or dwarfs or whatever the, you know, give it a name from a cultural group from that area. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, there was a village of, you know, little people living you know, here and now, of course, they weren't maybe eating people, but right, think right. about how stories also get started. You know, somebody doesn't like somebody, all of a sudden they're, you know, they're, they're stealing. And, yeah, you know, yeah. They're stealing, killing. Yeah, yeah. You got to strike fear in to keep them away. Yeah. Or, or to raise anger against the, that group right. to, you know, go after them. So, well, back to the, uh, the Lovelock Caves. I, I've actually heard a couple different variations on these stories. One was tall, white-skinned, red-haired. So, you know what I mean? You could see mm-hmm. the flesh and all that stuff. But then I also heard that they were full-body red hair. You know what I mean? So that would I, lend credence to the Bigfoot. And it depends on which group and, and which community you're talking to. See, that's what I was just about to say. It depends what group, because I've heard it. Oh, my life just totally... Yeah, your life is kept on. Yeah. Um, I've heard it as Vikings, a group of 
you know, Nordic red-haired Vikings who somehow made their way to this cave in Nevada. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard it as, you know, fully hair covered. But I, I think it is interesting that when you start looking at the eaters of men and that, that folklore and story, a lot of similarities. Yeah. You know, but, you know, so you have that there. Yeah, it's fine. It's blinding me. I can't get it to be like at a decent level. If, yeah. if I turn it down a little bit, it, it goes too dark, and then I touch it, and then it goes too bright. So, and it's like blinding me right in the side of my face. Mm-hmm. But no, I it, it it is it is odd because it it, it depends on which group. And, and again, this is to to your point before how a lot of these stories are. You know, depending on the culture or the religion or you know what I mean. It mm-hmm. the stories change. You know, but they kind of have the same end result, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, this very well could be uh, a case in point. There is a, a story that came out of uh, South Africa. There was uh, a drought. Uh, crops weren't coming in. Cattle were dying, blah, blah, blah. They blamed it on the birth of this little kid. They said that the, the kid was, was a witch. It was, you know, it was evil. It was a bad omen, blah, blah, blah. The family kicked this toddler out into the streets, basically left for dead until some, you know, some person found this child and then, you know, nursed him back to health. And as far as I know, he's still, you know, alive and healthy. But different cultures have different superstitions. Mm -hmm. So maybe the people, whoever predated the Paiutes out there, um, they had some kind of genetic or, uh, you know, mutation. Some of their offspring were abnormally tall, you know, compared to what they are. I mean, back then they were probably like a five foot something, you know, or, or okay. shorter. You know, so you get a six foot, seven foot tall offspring. That's this is a bad sign. And, it, and it's a dry area. Oh, drought. It's it's a bad omen. It's uh, you know we gotta kick them out. We gotta sacrifice them or whatever or, or ostracize them. Kick them out. Put them in a cave. This is where these tall you know dark omens go. And it's just unfortunate people that ended up living there. And maybe they were what do you, what do you call it? Uh, limno sedentary. Maybe they were the ones that were stuck there. Mm-hmm. And it was just this smaller group that remained as every and that, while all the other uh limno mobile groups kind of just took off and would come back and then as time goes on maybe you forget that oh there was this group or i don't know i mean i'm just theorizing you know and that's yeah. when these that that group still had resentment because hey we were left here or whatever and the other group and then they they fought yeah well it reminds me of that bone tomahawk with kurt russell yeah 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 that you know group that lived in the cave. I mean, they weren't really based off this story, but you know, it's a group that lives in a cave that's mutated, and I won't ruin it for everybody. It's not a bad movie. I actually want to see it. I didn't yet, so don't go too Damn far. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Catalina Islands and the yeah, Catalina we're gonna move mixer. on to the, the Catalina wine mixer, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, um, what does Moon Joey say here? I just want to read it quick be, before we go on. It's so, according to a 
Giantism specialist from the University of Oxford. Human max maximum height is limited to nine feet. Also, the square cube loss state increases in size, requires a much faster expansion in volume. If you think about Bigfoot and how its girth is often described, it could be hypothesized that these giants are not human, but rather animals. That could be. I mean, there's, there's a lot of super tall people. What was that one guy? He was in uh, the WWE for a little while, the 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 con or the car or the great car or something like that. The great Holly. Yeah, I guess that I, I'm not a wrestling guy. The but longest yard. He was in the. Yeah, he was in that a big, like very Crow Magnany looking face. You know what I mean? Like caveman looking face. Dude, it's huge. He's super tall. He was towered over everybody else, and proportionately, he was massive. Like, uh, like that Wadlow. If you looked at him, he was thin, abnormally yeah. thin. You know, he was tall and lanky. He just looked disproportionate. But if you look at some of the other people that may not be quite as tall, but are, you know, seven plus. I think Wadlow was like three hundred and some pounds, but because he's so tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you had like Maximus Thrax, uh, Roman uh, emperor. Yeah. He was at any given point in history, he was neither eight foot six inches or nine foot tall. Yeah. He was also massive. I mean, his his rings, like people basically could put around, you know, put three fingers in it, and it's just his ring for one finger. She's like a bracelet. Yeah. Well, I think that's what one of the stories was. I think he had a woman, and he had a ring, and he gave it to her, and she actually wore it as a bracelet. Hmm. Now, this is a Roman emperor back during the Roman Empire, or no, nah, when it had been, I forget which phase of Rome it was. I believe it was the middle phase, but he was eight foot six, according to legends and, and his own men's writing about him. Holy crap. Well, that would kind of go right in line with what Moon Joey was saying about the, the maximum height is a nine foot limit. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I just wanted to, because he put the comment out there. Greatly appreciate it, Moon Joey. You always have really, really awesome points that you bring out. Thank you again for that. So we're going to go to the Catalina Island, a small rocky island off the coast of Southern California in the Gulf of Santa Catalina. Is only 22 miles long and about eight miles at its widest point. And it's part of a cluster of islands off the California coast. And there's about eight remote islands in that. And the uh, the Channel Islands, they're, I guess they're the Channel Islands, uh, five of which are monitored by and preserved by the Channel Islands National Park. And archaeological evidence shows Native American settlement beginning around 7,000 BC prior to the modern era. The island... The island is inhabited by the Tongva, or was inhabited by the Tongva, who um, had villages uh, in the Chowinga, or in San Pedro, I guess it's called now, and uh, the, the Guashna uh, Playa del Rey now regularly traveled back and forth between the islands and the mainland. So there was, you know, a little bit of history of the island. Mm -hmm. its yeah. Now, fast-forwarding in time, we find historical claims that Ralph Glidden, a self-taught archaeologist, moved to the Catalina Islands with his parents as a boy, where he then discovered an, and uncovered an ancient burial site in the early part of the 20th century. 
How cool would that be? Not to cut you off, but how cool would that be to find that? That's what I always wanted to do as a child, like archaeology, like... I always wanted to be Indiana Jones. I mean, we were talking about him earlier well, today. I think, yeah. I mean, you know, if oh, I couldn't cool. be a Jedi, if I couldn't be a Jedi, I was going to be Indiana Jones. That's right. But, well, I think, and that's one of the things that actually started me with like archaeology and mythology and you know folklore mm-hmm. was yeah. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh God. But, yeah. Now he is said to have excavated more than eight hundred uh, grave sites from various locations around the island including thousands of artifacts and over 4,000 human skeletons. Wow. So I, I got a question for you. Yes. Uh, how long do you have to be in the ground before grave Ooh. robbery becomes archaeology? Ooh. Not really a joke. It's more something to ponder. More of a uh, trivia question. Yeah, I don't know what what is the answer. I I don't know. Honestly. Oh, you don't know? Oh, yeah. No, it, it's just something I read the one time. It's like it was one of these things where somebody asked a question on one of those cure or something like that, and the person like answers as an archaeologist, and the next person responds, "Okay, grave robber." <laughs> I would probably put like a hundred, like at least a one century span on it. Yeah, I mean, I. I, if you went to the cemetery right now and start digging a hole in somebody's grave, they're going to arrest you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because like if you go to like an eighteen hundred or an early nineteen hundred, late eighteen hundred grave, yeah, you'd, you'd be arrested as a grave robber. But yeah. you go back further than that, yeah. You know, say, say you discovered on your property you were doing some you know cleanup work or something like that, and you all of a sudden you know found a mound of dirt that didn't seem to fit the the topography of the local and you start digging into it all of a sudden you hit a bone it's not really grave robbing you just you know all of a sudden on it you discovered you know a grave site so yeah but i always find that interesting at what point does one become the other and that is a good a really good question so well glidden claimed that a giant and fair-haired ancient race with adult males measuring seven to nine feet in height once inhabited santa catalina and it's adjacent islands. So now, just, you know. yeah. So, of course, you know, at a certain point, he loses his sponsors after digging for almost about 10 years. And, you know, general opinion today is that he was bluffing about finding these giant skeletons, just kind of create interest and also to make money to keep, you know, it's one of those things where if you say, hey, I found a giant skeleton, somebody will fund your dig for another five years. So you can dig for what you're really looking for, you know, trace history of a group. True, true. Well, <clears throat> it might be true, uh, but I'm not so sure. So you see, Glidden was not the first person to to try and uh, dig on that island. Ralph Glidden was not the first to find a giant skeleton on Catalina Island. According to the Pittsburgh Press on July 20th, 1913, and also the Daily Telegraph, on July 26, a German naturalist named Dr. A.W. Furstenan unearthed an eight-foot skeleton on the island. The skeleton was found with artifacts such as mortars, pestles, and arrowheads, kind of reminiscent to the smaller things that they were finding in Lovelock. Um, this, uh, I, I totally lost track. All from all different from the ordinary Indian relics that were being discovered on. Mm-hmm the islands and plus a strange flat stone bearing unknown symbols 
I always love that when they find those mystery talismans or, or you know, tablets that have all these strange markings that they can't they can't decipher. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Furston had, well, in Mexico, heard uh, a legend of a noble race of giants that had lived on the Catalina Islands long before the white man had arrived. So, and he traveled to the island to investigate. And he found the skeleton along Avalon Bay in black, hard sand showing no signs of burning. Uh, most of the bones crumbled to dust when they came up into the air. Only skull, jawbone, and bones of one of the feet remain. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. There's only those few pieces. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the climate. You know, you you do. Hear oh it. yeah, I guess it is going to kind of grind grind everything up. Yeah. Well, well, you also just hear like with the exposure to air, certain items. Yeah, you know, will soften, become brittle, and if they're not, we're also talking 1900s, early 1900s. We're not talking about, you know, if you even watch some of those dinosaur digs, they plaster stuff while it's still in the ground. You know, as they That's, yep, yep, because so, it's exposed. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Well, even uh, like the the what it was uh, the peat peat bog people that they were finding as yeah. soon as they came out of the water they started disintegrating and the ice man yeah uh, i can't remember what the hell they called him but yeah he started to decompose almost instantly yeah um but uh it's not only on it's not only on the catalina island that seems to have found did i just read this or no okay that uh man i'm 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 lost. Where am I at? Okay, it's not only on the Catalina Islands that seems to have found giant skeletons. There are reports of findings also on other of the Channel Islands. According to the newspaper articles, Santa Rosa Island was the site of a dig in 1959, and they discovered several... Did I read this already? It no. sounds, I feel like I read this already. Okay. They found several skeletons more than seven feet tall. <laughs> the tops of the skulls were... Oh, yeah. They were painted red. The skulls were said to be primitive, otomid-type, most often described as having sloped forehead, pronounced brow, robust bones, powerful jaws, and so-called Inca bone at the top of the skull, which is like the elongated, almost like alien type uh, skull. Yeah. They're also said to have double rows of teeth. And I wonder if they said, we come from France. <laughs> I had to. Remember the Conan's movie when he went to the dentist, there's all the teeth? We come yeah. from France. Um. The <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that out there. The skeletons were found at an Indian cemetery that contained abalone shells that were dated to be more than 7,000 years old. According to the book, The Native Race of the Pacific States of North America, a five-volume description of indigenous ethnic groups by Hubert Howe Bancroft and a Mr. Taylor from San Benaventure, Bonaventure, God, if I could ever get that word right when I see it the first time, uh, stayed at Santa Rosa Island in 1861, and he often came across skeletons of Indians in caves with double rows of teeth. That is interesting. I, I don't ever remember reading any reports about that, though, in the past, though. This is the first time I'm hearing about double row teeth. I'm yeah, sure you 
I mean, you, you, you know everything. I Well, I've seen, like, things that have resembled double rows of teeth, but a lot of times it's written, um, like, especially in archaeology, archaeological stuff, it's usually because there's a set of teeth that didn't come in yet. Sometimes they, the, what we would call baby teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't necessarily come out, so the teeth weren't actually they weren't out of the skin when they were alive, but they were actually growing behind the regular teeth, but they weren't pop. They wouldn't, they didn't pop through yet. Gotcha. Or sometimes they did pop through and it caused dental issues and actually a lot of times led to the person's death. Oh, Jesus. Uh, dental death is the number one killer of large mammals in, in the wild. <laughs> I was just talking to your wife about that so weird we were talking horses because my daughter's trying to talk me into buying her a horse and she's like oh dental get your teeth checked because dental death is the number one killer of large animals like i didn't know that well even in humans uh a lot of they're they're finding a lot of correlation with dental issues and heart issues and other um issues that you know you you eventually die from heart disease but they're finding a correlation with like gingivitis actually leading to the heart disease and stuff like that oh, crap really well, yeah it's kind of scary uh, i know a lot of stuff that is really of no value in my day-to-day -day life <laughs> yeah that's how that's how i always was too man I, like when it comes to pop culture and useless information dude full of it Yes, but when, when it comes to any dental death, as <laughs> exactly, exactly. But well, a lot of this stuff that we talked about with the Catalina Islands, obviously, it's up for debate. I mean, the, the Dr. Paul, I believe, is one of the uh, curators or was one of the curators at the preserve there, and they're still trying to dispute and debate whether or not these giant skeletons were even found because i'm assuming they haven't really found that many excuse me to to, to support the claim mm -hmm. well i mean here's the thing if you found one person who was quote unquote seven foot tall mm -hmm. you're digging it's not like in in our grave process where they go in a vault, they go, yeah, the vault goes in the ground, they, and they're packed in a coffin. These are right. people who are put underground as the body decomposes, gases and stuff push it out. You know, so when they find the person, it looks like maybe the person was 6'6, six, six, but the person after death looks seven foot tall because there's no, there's no skin, there's no muscle, there's nothing holding it. Right, right. You know, you're assuming the spacing is correct. So true, true. maybe they find two or three of these seven foot people on an island. It's, you know, there's um, interstellar dwarfism and interstellar gigantism, I believe, where things that are usually big become small and things that are usually small become big due to certain, you know, conditions. Factors. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, you might, you know, if you dug. You know, you took any cemetery, large cemetery, you know, in a city. Mm -hmm. You start digging, say, in a thousand years, you're going to find somebody who is seven foot tall. Yeah. 
So there were giants, you know, say humans don't need to be tall. They start shrinking back some. Mm -hmm. You find a seven foot one inch person a thousand years from now, they're going to go, there was giants living here. There was giants in New York City. Yeah. Be, maybe say what, 2% of the population is over a certain height. Well, New York City has 12 million people. Yeah. 2% of those people are going to be in that height range. So in a thousand years, if they find these cemeteries, you might find in one cemetery three or four people that are 611 to say 74. Yeah. So the thought process is there's giants. There had to be giants. These people had to be, especially if people shrink. Yeah, you know, like I'm saying, nowadays we're looking at stuff and we're saying seven foot isn't that tall. Yeah, you know, it's not a giant; it's a person. We we see seven footers. You turn on TNT anytime there's a basketball game on, you're going to see three to four guys on each team that are in that seven foot range. Oh, easy, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the thought process of one giant, two giants, three giants. Well, depending on how big, you know, maybe this island was used as a burial site, an honorarium for you know, people from that tribe and over the years, you know, you have a group of people that are taller than the rest. Well, now all of a sudden five, six generations of them are buried there. They're all six, 11, seven, four in that range. So all of a sudden there's giants living on this Island. Well, no, there was just a family that produced really large people or that's true. That's true. Yeah. It could have, it could have been, you know, Maybe these people were regaled as as godlike or or you know larger no pun intended but larger than life to the the just you know a certain group of people and then they had a special burial place so that mm -hmm. island is where you would bury the the giants it was the the the, the ascending of the giants to the gods because they were well, godlike or something well even if it, even if it wasn't just for them. Like it was just a burial spot for certain ranks inside their community. And by achieving that rank, you know, a brave warrior, the guy was, you know, 6'11". He was a brave warrior. He was bigger than average. So he could throw three men at one time, you know, or he could run faster and further than anybody else because his stride length was so long. So now you find three or four of them, in a group of 4,000, mm -hmm. you know, they're not saying all 4,000 were giants or just saying there were giants found amongst them. Right. I think, <clears throat> I, I think giants as in the sense of, you know, what we think of to me, if I think of a giant, I'm thinking of the disproportionately large Marvel, right, right. you know, Marvel cinematic universe giant. I'm not thinking of somebody eight foot tall i'm not thinking of uh, maximus thrax who was right eight foot six i'm thinking of well eight foot six i mean consider a giant that's pretty big yeah yeah but i'm thinking of the animated cgi oh yeah yeah like 20 yeah. 30 foot yeah. yeah giant yeah so and it's funny that you mentioned paul bunyan because i literally just saw something online about the uh, the history of the folklore of Paul Bunyan and like all the different states that tried to claim where it came from, like they're saying about it, possibly originated in like Quebec area of Canada. And I think there were four: Wisconsin, Minnesota, Vermont, 
and even Pennsylvania, I think we're trying to lay claim to where his folk tale originated and stuff. So yeah. kind of interesting. But that's my in when I think giant, I think that like taller than a tree, giant, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. When you make a step in the ground, you make a pond or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Something crazy. Yeah. But so, not I mean, not just a tall er person. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like I said, I mean Schaefer is like six 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 seven. Yeah. So I mean He's tall, uh, but he's not a giant. Yeah, a hundred years ago, he's twelve inches, uh, a foot taller than average. The average guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. So, well, that is nine thirty-nine. So we're almost ten minutes past our our ending time here. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We we appreciate all the interaction that we had tonight. Um, I'm thinking next show, there's two topics that I would like to co cover. And if anybody would like to put their two cents in, please let us know. I'm thinking Carbondale UFO and other, uh, Pennsylvania, other UFO sightings in the state of Pennsylvania. And then the next one that I'd like to do is some UFO portal type events, uh, Starlight Ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, Roswell, the Lost Dutchman Mind, kind of portals, other interdimensional kind of kind of stuff. Hey, Matt Northey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you know, we're all giants next to you. Yeah. Um, so either one of those topics, uh, let us know. Otherwise, I'm going to decide. As long oh, as Chad proves it. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Really so that's it. Decision. Yeah, yeah. I was putting my foot down until you said something. All right. So, Chad, as always, brother, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yep. I love I love doing this with you. It's it's truly a pleasure. So and thank you, everybody else, for tuning in. We, we appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, everybody. And yeah, it's uh, a great pleasure to get to hang out with you and talk about weird and unusual and crazy stuff. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, two weeks from now, we will be back at it again with uh, one of those two topics. Carbondale UFO and other UFO sightings in Pennsylvania or UFO portal type events like Starlight Ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, Roswell, and the Lost Dustman Mine. It's up to you folks. Spread the word. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Good night, everybody. Good night.